Welcome in to Locked On Knicks. Alex Wolf and Gavin Shaw here, and we have a great guest for you guys today. A lot of you probably know him already. He does plenty of podcasts. We have Schwinny Poo with us uh, on the pod today, and we're starting a discussion where we're going to tackle three big questions going into the offseason for the Knicks. The first question, Gavin, is related to Tom Thibodeau. Yeah. Uh, can the Knicks have success if Tibbs remains the coach? It's pretty simple. And uh, maybe if you follow Schwinn on Twitter, you can have a general gauge of his thoughts on that topic. But I promise there's a whole lot of nuance to it. And we start touching on a little bit on our second big picture question of this offseason. Uh, just how much success can the Knicks have if Emmanuel quickly and Obi Toppin play more minutes, particularly as starters? All that and more right now on Locked on Knicks. You are Locked on Knicks, your daily New York Knicks podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. And I think we see Willis coming out. There he comes. Right now. Starts without a five. Ewing for the win. Yes. Up, up, left. Now fires it. He's good. And he's fouled. And he's fouled. Anthony for three. All right, welcome in to Locked On Knicks. This episode is brought to you by Prize Picks. Check out prizepicks.com and use promo code NBA or go to your app store and download the app today. Prize Picks is daily fantasy made easy. I'm Alex Wolf. I'm editor-in-chief of Nick's site, The Strickland, which you can find at thestrick.land. He's Gavin Shaw, your favorite play-by-play broadcaster, favorite play-by-play broadcaster. And like we said in the intro, we are joined by Schwinny Poo today, one of our best buds and someone who we, we certainly always love to share the podcast airwaves with. So I won't hold this up any longer. We'll get into our first question today, which is about Tibbs and his viability as Nick's coach going forward. All right, as promised, we are joined by Schwinny Poo. You might know him as at Schwinny Poo on Twitter from the Strickland, where he does like a zillion pods, uh, Pod Strickland, two days a week, Strick and Roll every other week, uh, Nick's Mail.Bag every other week as well. Lots of podcasts going on over there. So we are joined. Uh, I think the more appropriate title would be the Rant Master Extraordinaire, Schwinn. Uh, Schwinn, how you doing, man? How is how is the end of the season treating you? Uh, I should say we we just wrapped an episode of Strike Roll yesterday. It was like two and a half hours long, so I, I have a pretty good idea. But <laughs> um, yeah, I I I'm happy. I'm happy the season's over um, because we've been talking about the same things over and over again for like the last what four months, something like that. I don't know. Yeah, about four months since about January, right? When I was like obvious that Kemba should no longer play NBA basketball. Um, so yeah, I'm happy it's over because I have no, I, I don't think it was uh, conducive to my mental well-being to continue to discuss Tom Thibodeau's rotations. What? No, what? you were so reasonable about it. What do you mean? <laughs> <laughs> well, let's, uh, let's, let's dive right in. Patience. <laughs> Gu- guess who topic number one is, Schwinn. I hope your mental, your mental stability feels okay today. Because um, we're, we're getting into three questions for the Knicks this offseason. Probably our favorite style of show that we do here. Because it's easy to just boil things down and then talk about it that way. So our first question we want to get into is, 
which I'll, I'll throw right to you, Schwinn. Is there a world where Tom Thibodeau remains the coach long term and this all works out? Or is basically the only path forward for the Knicks more or less a repeat of, of this season and Tibbs getting fired, whether it's partway through next season, whether he gets a whole other season to do what he just did? Do you see a world where he can adjust and the ship can be righted here? Um, I'm just looking at uh, – so I'm looking at Memphis's roster right now, and they basically just have like only young guys, and then they have Steven Adams, who's 28, so not exactly super old, and Kyle Anderson, who's 28, and not – so obviously not that super old. But those are like their only – vets that they brought from outside really uh and tyus jones i guess too but he's 25 so again not not old um that is essentially the only way i see this working long term because if you give him options that are older he is going to benefit he's just going to favor them to a ridiculous degree um and that is what it is so i don't really like I just don't believe in him long-term for a variety of reasons. Um, but that's probably the biggest one because I just don't think he can pick the right rotations um, based on anything. Like for a coach whose entire thing is everything's like a meritocracy and you got to earn your minutes, the amount of favoritism he has for veterans and how much he leans on them um, beyond the point of reason is pretty ridiculous. Uh, I mean, we're on two seasons now where he's completely bungled the starting point guard spot and people that have defended him have framed it as like, there are no other options. Like he can't do anything else, but this thing, this stupid, stupid thing that he's doing. Um, and it just is wrong because there are literally options on the roster that he refuses to go to. Um, and so I just think like, unless you completely Tibbs proof the roster, which is another insane thing to have to do um, where like, you can't trust your coach to make the right choices. Uh, But like, that's the only way I can see it working. Um, And even then, like, I just don't see how he is ever going to be the coach to lead you to genuine contender level level, given his reluctance to, experiment with different lineups and it's actually really frustrating because i do think he experimented this year a lot um with different defensive schemes and coverages for pick and rolls Uh, we saw that a lot more with jericho who i think he trusts athletically to do things that he doesn't trust mitch to do and he probably hasn't trusted a lot of bigs to do other than like taj before he was 78 years old Um, Noah, maybe yeah noah maybe and Mitch before he got fat, like, but he didn't even, even with Mitch last year, he didn't do a lot of that. So I, I like, I do think he's willing to experiment in those ways, but when it comes to like how, like he'll never use Obi and Randall together in a meaningful sample. Now maybe Randall is gone, but that still doesn't change that reality that he will never try such a thing together. Like you can remove that option entirely by trading Randall or trading Obi, which I hope they don't do, but you can remove that option entirely by trading Randall, but it doesn't change the fact that when that option is present, he will never use it. And he will never go small unless he's like, he'll never go small to force another team's hand. He'll never do it to, to catch them out and try and force them to adjust to him. 
he will only do it to adjust to to them or if he's shorthanded and he has to do things. So like I just don't see the experimentation with him. The offense is obviously its own thing. Like I, I don't even know what to say about it at this point. It's just very not it's not creative. Um the best thing I can say about it is that it has some structure and he seems to understand like the basic concept of spacing, but there's just not a lot there. And so given those limitations and then on top of it, the issues that he's pretty glaringly had over two seasons with rotations and minutes, um, I just, I think it's inevitable that at some point he's going to get fired and we're going to move on. Like he's just not the guy that's going to stick around for five years and, and figure everything out. You know, he, he's never shown that in his career. Like his entire mindset is these are the things I want us to do. And all we need to do is like every time he says it, right. Execute better, play harder. Like those are just his core beliefs that if you do the things that he thinks will help you win and you execute harder and you compete better, like that is enough. That will always win out over whatever else the other team could possibly do. And it's just like, you know, I don't really see that. Even if you give them superstar talent, like we're in an era, I think, at the NBA where even with the requisite championship talent, coaching matters a lot. And it probably matters more than it did in previous eras just because teams have more data. I think teams are more flexible to try things. Um, and winning margins matters a lot. And I just don't see him as ever being that coach that's going to, you know, adjust on the fly, you know, in, in the way that you need to, to really win at the highest levels. Like, you know, like somebody like Ty Lu, who funny enough was on the same staff as him in Boston. And it's just funny to see like how different they are um, as coaches. Not that Tibbs is a bad coach, by the way, he's just had a terrible season. And I just don't think he's a championship level coach. All right. We're going to be back in a second with Schwinn continuing this wide ranging conversation with Tom Thibodeau. Just how good can the Knicks be next year if he remains the head coach? But before we do that, uh, I want to tell you all a little bit about price picks. All right, NBA fans, are you looking for a daily fantasy option for the league? Then you need to try the award-winning app, Price Picks. Price Picks is daily fantasy made easy. I love it, and we know you will too. It's super easy to use. All you have to do is pick two to five players and an over-under on their projections, and you can win up to 10 times on any entry, just you versus the projected numbers. Entries can be made in 60 seconds or less, and Price Picks is great because they offer safe and fast withdrawals. Use the award-winning app on both the App Store and Google Play. And they offer a variety of options for you. They You can pretty much have any prop that you could think of from points scored to rebounds, even steals, prize picks, even allows mixed sport entries. So if you want to maybe take some bets on the NBA playoffs, uh, over under Kevin Durant uh, three-pointers made versus Yankees runs scored in a specific game, stuff like that. And prize picks doesn't just offer NBA. They have options on college basketball. Football, NFL, MLB, soccer, MMA, and more. So for a limited time, PrizePix is an exclusive no-brainer of an offer for all of our users. Users get $50 for free if a player in your first PrizePix entry scores a single point, but you must use code NBA. That's right. This is an exclusive offer available to Lockdown fans. Sign up today and use code NBA for $50 for free if a player in your first PrizePix entry scores a single point. Point. And then I wanted to take a second to tell you all about Bet Online. It is that time of year where uh, everyone wants to throw some money down on the NBA playoffs. And betonline.net is your number one source for all your sports betting stats and info. So find all the latest sports developments, league reviews, and news, including this year's basketball playoffs and the start of the Major League Baseball season. I know personally, 
I am completely locked in on the playoffs. Man, oh man, do I love that Nets-Cavs line tonight. I'm pretty confident that the Cavs can stay within eight points of the Nets, even if Jared Allen doesn't play. The, the Cavs have been ruthlessly tough all season. I know the Nets are, are a different team when Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving are fully healthy. I really don't care. I think that's a pretty good game. I think it's one that the Nets ultimately win, but you can make some money putting some money down on the Cleveland Cavaliers. Bet Online is your continued source for all your sports wagering information from live betting to playoffs, esports, and more. So head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more about the trends in action. Bet Online, where the game starts. I think to your point, I mean, we see some of the positives of that, not that inflexibility, but of his core tenants and the fact that this Knicks team somehow finished as the third best defense in basketball after the all-star break, which when you look at their personnel and like maybe the level of effort that should have been present there um, probably shouldn't be a thing, but you just, to your point, you can't divorce that from some of like the inexplicably bad decision-making and Maybe this is a pointless avenue to go down, but I, I think it's worth discussing since he will be the next coach next season. And I guess it's, it's to some extent Schwinn asking you to get inside the mind of a basketball serial killer. But what do you think his beef was with Emmanuel quickly by the end of the season? And I don't know if that's the right way to frame it, but obviously it does feel like that's a thing. And in the past, in my mind, it's become pretty clear. Like in everyone's everyone's head, I think the preconceived notion about Tibbs was always he's going to prioritize defense over all else. Seemingly at the point guard position, what he prioritizes over all, all else is the ability to get into the lane, to to bend a defense, not with your shooting, but with your ability to get two feet in the paint um, and, and get to the rim at, at the cost of just about every other quality in the point guard. Hence, a, a year of, of Alfred Payton. But by the end of the season, it felt like, and it, I think it, it is reality, that Emmanuel quickly became very good at that. And obviously, down the stretch, he did play a ton, but that clearly felt more of a product of, to your point, like Tibbs' hand being forced by injuries and, and guys being absent for various reasons. To me, I think he values, and this is this is hard because it's, it's sort of an intangible thing, but he values a certain stoutness defensively right like we all we all talk about how he wants switchability at the point guard spot and it's tough because iq nominally like obviously there there are bigger players and bigger wings that are going to give him more trouble than maybe someone like alec burks who's just physically a bigger person but on the whole quickly has proven himself to be very solid defensively and it just it, it just seems like there's this comfort level with physically having more size on the defensive end and this notion that if he feels comfortable and and there's this solidity i don't even know if that's a word um on defense that everything else to your point will work itself out and obviously there there are trade-offs being made there that i mean clearly we've seen now throughout a whole season just just simply do not work um i know there's a lot going on there but i i guess what i'm trying to boil this down to like do you think this continues into next season now that iq has evolved into someone who can get into the paint and and, and can make plays basically from a standstill attacking the basket um i I don't know. I really don't know. Like I, I would like to think that he would start quickly next year if no other additions are made to the roster. So if it's just, let's say they run back, you know, the guys they had at the end of the year. Right. So effectively IQ Burks, Deuce and Rose is healthy. I don't think he'll start Rose. He clearly has shown he doesn't want to start Rose. I don't think Rose particularly cares if he starts or not. Um, I don't even think Rose wants to. So I don't think that's a, that's an issue. But like, I mean, I, we're always trying to find like these reasons for why Tibbs is doing things. And I mean, it could just be very simple. Like, 
I think he just thinks Burks is a better player than Quickly. Like, I really do think that. And he might be a better player in like a complete vacuum, but when you're talking about being a primary ball handling guard, um, I don't actually think he's a better player in a vacuum, by the way. But if you're talking about like actually being a primary initiator, it's so obvious that Quickly is better suited to that. And I mean, we saw last year, like, Elf wasn't giving you anything, and yet he refused to try anything else. And his logic was like he didn't want to break up the bench unit. And so we were like, well, why not just start Frank then? Like, if you're not getting anything from your starting point guard, even if you think Frank sucks, there's really no argument that Frank is worse than Alfred Payton. And he could he can actually shoot a little bit. Why not start him? Because all of the initiating is going through Julius and RJ anyway, and he just stuck with Elf. And I just don't know. Like, I mean, some of it is just the fact that once he decides something before a season starts, it doesn't seem like he wants to adjust at all. Uh, or it just takes a lot for him to adjust. And this year, he didn't really show any adjustment. He just, there were injuries, and so quickly had to play point guard minutes. But if you look at how he started the season, he had no intention of playing quickly at point guard at all. Like, he he didn't. Like, he, you know, Kemba was a starting point guard, and then Rose was the backup point guard. And then when he made a change of point guard, it wasn't for quickly. It was for Burks. And Burks and Rose were playing point guard, and quickly was the off guard in that situation. And sure, yes, he got some on-ball reps because it's basketball, and so that's going to happen. But like, he was very clearly not the point guard until circumstances forced that upon him. And it got to the point, if you remember this, if we go back, he actually started Deuce at point guard over quickly. So to me, yes, maybe some of it is like he just likes quickly running the benching or whatever, but I also just don't think he believes that quickly is maybe a very good starting point guard and and I, I I'm open to being wrong about that but the evidence is in his actions and your actions tell you everything if you don't start a guy for an entire season when everything is screaming that he is clearly the best option especially over those last like you know 10 to 15 games or whatever it was ridiculous and at that point you know maybe it's just that simple that he just doesn't think he's a very good starting point guard um so I don't know, like, and and the frustrating part about it is, if you're the front office, you have a decision to make where, you know, maybe you talk to Tibbs in the offseason, you're like, look, we're we want we want we want we want to see what quickly does a starting point. That's what we're doing. Like, you got to roll with that. That's part of the gig. Okay, I think Tibbs would play ball on something like that. But here's the issue: if you're the front office now, you don't have any sample size of quickly starting games, getting those starter rotations, starter minutes, how he responded to that, how he grew from that, how he, you don't have any of that, right? All you have are like these wonky kind of like playing with lineup data to see how, how he performed when he was on the floor with various guys. You don't really have a great idea of what the quality of the opponent's lineups were in those times. Um, Like I tend to not care about that because I just think basketball is so fluid that if you're a positive in every lineup you're in, you're probably just like a good player doing things right. And it doesn't really matter who you're playing against over a large sample. Like you're clearly at some point going to be playing against starters quickly, obviously has given how much he closes games. Um, But like you have to make this decision now based on just like these, like this, like what I'm saying, like lineup data and playing with on off stuff. And I just think that's a shitty place to be. And that's really tough. Like I, Personally, I've seen enough from Quickly that I would just give him the starting point guard spot next year and see what happens, unless some like star level 
you know, ball handler becomes available. But I'm not in the, I'm not like, I don't have any skin in the game beyond, you know, people telling me I'm a fucking moron on Twitter. You know, like I'm not, it's not my job. I'm not going to get criticized for it. I'm not going to like have to deal with James Dolan asking me why the fuck we're starting quickly at point if he struggles to start the year. I just, you know, I, I, I don't know. I think it's a really tough spot for the front office, but you know, it's on them too for keeping Tibbs and allowing him to do what he did this year, which I think was, I mean, it, if you want to justify it until the all-star break, fine, whatever. Like, I think you're a moron, but cool. At least I can understand that. After that point, it just became malpractice. Like, what he did to close this year was absolutely malpractice. The guy played Alec Burks more minutes than any other player in the NBA in the month of March. In what world does that make sense? And, he, and most of that was that point guard out of position. It's just ridiculous. Um, and so, yeah, I, I don't know if I answered your question, but it's just like I, I fundamentally – I don't know how much Tibbs even cares about the progression quickly made because he didn't respond to it. Um, like, I agree with you. He clearly showed a lot of improvement as a ball handler, as a dribble penetrator, um, as a distributor, all the things that you'd want to see from a quote-unquote true point guard. And he didn't really get rewarded for it in terms of starting at all. And the one start he got was because RJ was hurt. Um, you know, I, I just... I don't know. I, I really don't know. And I also, I will say this too. Like, I think he started the year off really well. I know he didn't shoot well. I'd never had a problem with how he was playing. I, you can go back, look through my tweets, listen to podcasts. I was saying it at the time. I don't care that he's shooting like shit. I think he's playing well. The team is playing well when he's on the floor. Like, and, and here's the thing, right? Tibbs always says that. It doesn't matter how you're playing. It's how the team is playing with you on the floor. But he never replies that in reality. Because if he did, quickly would be averaging 35 minutes a game. So I just don't think whatever it is with quickly, I don't think it's like a personal thing. I think he really does like quickly. Um, I just don't think he can get how he's boxed him in, in his mind. Like I think he has an idea of what quickly is. And that just is not the type of starting point guard that, that Tibbs wants for whatever reason. All right. We're going to take our second break. Uh, We'll be right back in. Talk more about Tom Thibodeau and, Start getting into the topic of our next part of this discussion in our next episode, which is about Emmanuel Quickly and Obi Toppin and why they probably need to be playing a lot more than they did. Uh, But this episode is brought to you by rockauto.com. And with the ever-increasing numbers of makes and models, you guys know it's impossible for those local chain auto parts stores to stock all the parts you need. The weather's getting nice. So, like, if you guys are like me, you want to go out there and start, you know, doing some stuff on your car. I don't do anything more than mostly surface level, but, you know, it makes you feel accomplished to go out there and do a little something with your hands and do something on your car in the nice warm weather. Uh, So, you know, if you're like me, you'll definitely want to hit up rockauto.com. They have all the parts that you can need for your car without those hassling discussions with people at those auto parts stores. You're not going to get asked a bunch of questions that don't relate to the parts you need. You're not going to, you know, have to deal with them ordering it and then having to go back to the store to pick it up and all this other stuff. Cause of course it's like a tiny little store. They can't stock parts for every single car there. So they have to order it from their own warehouse and get it shipped to them. And then, you know, you go pick it up and probably pay a huge premium because they're going to charge you a lot more than they charge a mechanic or, or someone in the, you know, professional auto repair field. That doesn't happen at rockauto.com. They got low prices for everybody. They're going to ship right from their warehouse directly to your house. 
So you don't have to worry about all those extra trips to the auto parts store. It's so much easier. It could save you so much money. You know, you, why would you want to spend 30%, 50% or even 100% more for the same parts uh, from one of those chain stores when you could just go to rockauto.com? So if you want to check out what's available for your car truck, go to rockauto.com right now and see what they got. You know, and if you decide to pick up a part for that spring project, make sure you're right locked on in their How Did You Hear About Us box so they know we sent you. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. RockAuto.com. I think there's something to be said too that the same principles sort of apply to Obi Toppin, right? Like Tibbs has had him in a box where he says he's a power forward, nothing more, nothing less. Julius Randle is a power forward, nothing more, nothing less. So, you know, in his mind, on his like, you know, little like spreadsheet of his brain, that's the only place where they slot in and they can never float into the center, you know, spot, even for a few minutes a game. And I think we saw that rigidity sort of create uh, these situations that made winning hard for the Knicks this year. You know, like there were so many games where we would talk about it. I mean, look, Randall had a bad season in terms of effort level and efficiency and stuff like that. But like, he had some game, you know, it was very much a, a roller coaster of a season for Randall. Like there were some games where he looked amazing and looked just like last year's Randall. There were some games where he looked absolutely terrible and looked, you know, more like almost like a worse version of, of 2019, 20 Randall, because he seemed to have more self-confidence and less effort, you know? Um, so it's, you know, there, but there were some games where, realistically Obi and Randall were the two best players that touched the floor for the Knicks. And because of Tibbs's rigidity, never touched the floor at the same time. And, you know, so I think that's, that's going to put a cap on the Knicks for as long as they keep him, whether it's all of next season, or if they give him almost like the Fisdale treatment ish, you know, where it's like, look, we've got a certain benchmark that we want out of you in the first like 20 games or so. And if you don't hit it, you're gone. Um, you know, I don't know what the deal is going to be, what they're going to tell him in the offseason, what sort of ultimatums they're going to give him or what they're going to tell him about who he needs to be playing or who he doesn't need to be playing. But like, you know, it, there's going to be uh, there needs to be some sort of change to how he fundamentally approaches things uh, going into next season if things are going to change. And, you know, I, I don't think that there is a world where the Knicks can be. And, and you know, I, I say this with full understanding of what they did last year. But I don't think that there's a world where if this year is any indication of how this team and the players are going to look going forward and how Tibbs' mindset is going to look going forward, that you're going to be able to create any sort of, you know, winning team under him or, or, or a team that even if he got out of his own way a little bit would win more than like 50 percent of their games. So I guess we can sort of close this this question before we move on, because we talked a little bit about quickly and topping already. But, you know, we'll, we'll talk about them a little more in a second. But I, I guess to close this question off, I'll just ask and I'll answer first. Then, Gavin, I can throw it to you for final points and then Schwinn. But um, what do you guys think the max outcome could be like record wise if Tibbs were to coach this team? the whole season next year. And let's say that, I mean, let's just say for the the sake of argument that they don't get rid of Randall as of right now, like if they were to just run it back more or less, like what, like would Tibbs have the capability to get a greater result than what he got this year? 
I think that there's almost an equal likelihood that he can end up two or three games better or two or three games worse than this year. But I, I feel like this year's outcome, you know, even with another RJ Barrett leap, even if Emmanuel quickly improves a lot, even if Obi Toppin improves a lot, I feel like the fact that Tibbs has all these guys in these certain boxes in his head that he's not willing to separate them from would cap this team in such a way that if, if things don't change and if the front office doesn't like put the screws to him in some way, that we would basically see the same result. But Gavin, what do you think as far as as far as what they could potentially achieve if Tibbs was going to be the coach? I think I don't know. I maybe this this might be insane because obviously, I mean, I think Schwinn is a hundred percent correct in that he has this notion of quickly and quickly you come out and average like 35 points he could have averaged 35 points per game over the final 10 games of the season Tibbs would have been like well he's still he's more of a six man to me um but that being said I I think the the only case scenario where they do significantly better than they did this season is if quickly and OB basically continued on this trajectory they showed at the end of the season and we're, we're just good to the point and I guess to your point, Alex, if they keep Randall, maybe this would be impossible for Obi, but at least for quickly, just so undeniably good and better than the other options and except at the point guard spot that he is essentially your point guard for 30 minutes per night. And in that world, RJ gets a bit better. Um, again, this is this is a Goldilocks uh, best case scenario world where, where Julius just sort of accepts his role and says, all right, I just want to I want to play within structure. Like I want to do the things I do well without taking away from other people. Again, maybe not realistic. I think there's a world where they're like a, five or six or seven seed next year but no I don't think they can do much better than that I don't know if they can do much better than that with another coach either to me it, it's more about process over results next season and maybe for some people that's that's frustrating to hear given that they thought the Knicks would be on this linear trajectory after they got the four seed two seasons ago that's just not really the roster they currently have and, and to your point Alex if they run it back and there isn't that superstar trade or, or the acquisition of someone who can really just elevate the overall talent level on the team. I, I think a more fun, uh, more efficient, slightly better version of this year's team is probably the best we could hope for next year. But again, given Tibbs's rigidity, it, it's hard to say how plausible that is. I think it would, it would just take such an overwhelming improvement for someone like quickly that it's simply undeniable, even to someone who's denied it in the face of all reason um, this far, but, but Schwinn, I'll, I'll throw that over to you. Um. Yeah. So, I mean, if you want some stats, uh, the Knicks this year, just this is just this year. Okay. Um, they had they were in the ninety second percentile, uh, in net rating when quickly and Obi were on the floor together, and that that very specifically, I removed the Derek Rose minutes from it. Because, you know, remember, you know, just I'm sure you guys remember this, but that quickly and Obi Toppin were actually incapable of being NBA players without Derrick Rose. Um, turns out that's not true. So this is by cleaning the glass. They were in the 92nd percentile in 1,208 possessions, plus 8.6 net rating. Um, they had a 115.6 offensive rating in that time. That's in the 76th percentile, 106.9 defensive rating, 90th percentile. I don't know what to tell you. Like this is this is just what it is. I mean, if you even and, and cleaning the glass removes crunch time, so like that that's different. If you don't remove crunch time, if you just include all of the minutes they played without Derrick Rose this year, uh, the number is this: they had 648 minutes with IQ and Obion without Rose, 114.3 offensive rating and 104 defensive rating. That's a plus 10.3 net rating. Um, 
IQ had a 55.7 true shooting, 25.4 usage, OB 62.2 true shooting, 22 usage. All of this is to say, I think that maybe I agree with you, like probably fighting for that last playoff spot or, you know, jockeying for play in positioning is the most likely outcome for this team uh, with those guys as starters. Um, But like, Young players improve, and we've already seen both those guys take a leap in their second seasons. I actually think Quickly took like two leaps this year. Um, I thought he took a leap at the start of the year where he was kind of adjusting to the fact that his role was the same, even though he had kind of worked on adding all these skills in the offseason. Um, and then obviously because of injuries, he was thrust into the point guard role after a while. And then he had to adjust to that again. And I think he took a major leap uh, to close the season. Like, I, I don't think it was bullshit. I, I don't think it was like this flash in the pan or like a fluky stretch. Like I think he, you know, you don't make the passing reads. He was making the playmaking, getting to the rim more stuff like that. Those are active process choices that are not just down to making or missing shots. Um, and obviously it helped that he was making more shots to close the year, but uh, I think his process was a lot fluid or a lot better and defensively the entire year. I mean, it's basically since he's come into the NBA, he's been great. Like I think he's actually a super underrated defensive player. Um, I don't remember who the f- it was last weekend. Somebody tweeted about how like Jalen Brunson is clearly a better defender than quickly. And I just think that's crazy. Um, but whatever, that's not really my point. My point is, I just think he's a really good defensive player on top of the offensive leaps he's making. And even when he wasn't shooting well, teams honor him out there. Um, like he's, he's not somebody that teams are comfortable just leaving unguarded out on the perimeter. So you know, I don't know how good they can be, but it's like you factor in the fact they've already shown improvement that young players tend to improve. Um, I think RJ Barrett is going to take another leap coming into next season. Um, you know, I don't know how the Randall situation is going to play out. I do think they will move him. Like, I just don't see how it's tenable for him to stay at this point. Um, but like, even if he were to stay, he literally, I don't think he could possibly play worse than he did this season. Um, you know, I just think like this team is a lot better than what the ultimate output was, you know, even amid all of as bad as Julius played as awful as Kemba was as ineffective as Fournier was to start the year. Like even despite all of that, they had the point differential of 41 and 41 team. And that's with Tibbs coaching like a fucking asshole, you know, like literally punting on, 30, 40% of individual games by just playing terrible units. Um, and and obviously terrible units, not like ones that, you know, it's like units that were just so bad beyond the point of reason, and he kept going to them. Um, I think this team has young talent that is being slept on by a lot of people around the league. I'll say that. Like, I think, I think Tibbs, I, I really think what he did this year was like, malpractice. I, I can't stress that enough. I think guys like Quickly and Obi, those two especially, um, and RJ in a very different way because he was put in lineups that like just were not conducive to maximizing or optimizing what he does well at all. Um, and that's not to take away from like he does need to improve his own efficiencies and shooting mechanics and all that kind of stuff. Like that's on him. But even within that, like you didn't optimize what he did do well. But like the quickly and Obi stuff especially was so ludicrous this year. And I really feel like another coach would have played those guys a lot more. And the value of what they are would be so different 
around how people view them around the league, how we view them in turn, like as fans, um, and how comfortable we would be with just, you know what, let's go into the next season starting these guys and let's see what happens. Uh, if there is a concern, um, if there is a concern, I would say that it's that, um, like Obi as a as a starting four, we haven't seen what that is. Like we don't know how that they'll hold up over a long sample. Ditto for quickly with Obi. I think there's maybe a physicality issue that could bear out against certain teams. But like just as a very small specific example, two teams that we have struggled with throughout Tibbs's time in New York in his two years in New York have been the Hornets and the Heat. And when Randall was out and we were shorthanded, you know, to close this year, we went out on the road, beat those teams with IQ playing a huge role and with OB starting and getting major minutes in both those games. Like, I don't, is like, it's very hard to take two games and be like, well, see, this proves it. But like, those two really stand out to me because, I mean, in Miami especially, right? Like, do you remember that ESPN game earlier this season where Jeff Van Gundy was just like, what the f*** are we watching? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, like, you compare that to what these guys did. Like, even if they had lost that game, because they were down, like, 17 in the fourth quarter, I remember just watching that game even before they made the comeback, and I was like, I don't care that we lost because I think we competed and played so much better against this team than we have before. Like, you miss shots, you struggle with shot creation against their defense. Those are understandable things. But the compete level, how hard you're making them work, those things are, they should be non-negotiable. And I thought we competed way better. Obviously, you come back and win, it makes it even better, right? But like, I mean, to that point, quickly led that charge, right? He had 20 points in the fourth quarter against, what are they, like a top five defense in the league? Like one of the elite coaches, one of the elite defenses in the NBA, that's a really impressive, and that was a game they desperately wanted to win because they had lost two in a row. And they were at that time, I think, like if they lost that game, they would have dropped into a tie for the first seed. They obviously ended up in the first seed anyway. But like, the point being is like, that was not a nothing game. Charlotte's been one of the hottest teams in the NBA since the All Star break, and the one time we beat them this year, the one time we didn't look like physically outmatched in terms of speed and effort, was that game. And so I really think. Guys like Obi, I mean, every advanced stat, every impact metric with both of those guys literally is like a screaming positive. It, it could not be more bullish on what these guys can do. And at some point, you know, the stuff about like, well, can they do it in starter minutes? Can they do it against starter quality players and all these kind of things? Like, I mean, you don't know until you, you, you give them a chance, right? Like, you can't win the raffle without buying a ticket. So, Give them the chance. Like I, I think that they'll surprise you. I, I really do. I, I'm maybe like I'm a lot more bullish on these young guys than I think even most Knicks fans are because I just think it's really hard to get over the fact that they didn't play a lot, even if you believe in them. But it's like every single on-off thing, impact, whatever the f- you look at, literally all of them across the board for both of them, for quickly for two years, for Obi definitely this year is like yeah, why aren't they playing more, you know? Um, and you just, and then you look at like a team like Toronto and I just have a, I have a really hard time imagining Nick Nurse, like, especially with Obi, I feel like he would love Obi and play him constantly in weird lineups all the time. 
All right, that's it for this first part with Schwinn. We will be back. This, of course, I mean, if you've ever listened to a Schwinny Poo podcast, you know there's no such thing as a short Schwinny Poo discussion. So we're going to be back with two other parts uh, in the coming days uh, of this week where we'll talk more about Emmanuel Quickly and Obi Toppin in the next episode, why they need to get more playing time, and some of the staggering numbers that have you know come out as far as what their impact has been and, and how they've sort of justified the fact that they need more playing time. And then we'll end up closing this discussion in a third episode with what our ideal offseason looks like, what we want the Knicks to do. There's some specifics in there, some sort of wish list items, and then other just general grand plan things that we're going to get into. So there's a lot more great discussion to get into here. No surprise because Schwinn produces great discussions. Uh, but we'll be back to get into those tomorrow with part two and then the next day with part three. So keep your ears out. Lots of great stuff coming out the rest of this week. But until next time, thank you all for listening and we'll talk to you soon. Peace. Peace.